this morning I wanted to speak to you about a question that uh, I've had pop up a couple times over the past few weeks, and it's something that I haven't preached on in a year, maybe two, and uh, so I hoped uh, that the Lord would bless me to, to talk about that today, and the question that I was asked several times recently is, what is the difference between a primitive Baptist and another Baptist? And that's a good question, you know, for, for, you know, first 30 years of my life, I had no idea that there were even primitive Baptists. I don't even know what that meant. And so a lot of people don't understand the difference. And sometimes people think they understand the difference and maybe misrepresent what we actually believe. So I wanted to spend a few minutes this morning just talking to you about what is the difference between a primitive Baptist and other denominations, specifically maybe other Baptists. And I'm going to steal Elder Sonny Powell's explanation or answer of that. He, a sermon I listened to years ago, he was being interviewed on the radio and the, the man interviewed him for a while and he asked Brother Sonny, he said, uh, all right, we've got about 45 seconds left. He said, in 45 seconds or less, can you tell me what is the difference between a primitive Baptist and another Baptist? And Brother Sonny Piles said, I probably won't say it as eloquently as he did, but he basically said, the things that most people will tell you are the causes of spiritual life we believe are the effects of spiritual life. And then he went on to say, and that took a considerably less than 45 seconds. And I've never come up with a better answer than what he gave in that the things that most people will say are the causes of spiritual life or being born again, we say are the effects of being born again. Now, uh, maybe to, to help better paint that picture, imagine that you're sitting in the doctor's office one day and you're waiting on uh, the nurse to come back and get you and, and the door opens and a man uh, comes out, out of the parking lot and he walks in and he's, he's very stooped over. Maybe he's got very poor posture and he's holding his back and you can tell that he's having tremendous back pain. And he comes in and he sits down beside you and you begin to talk and you ask him, uh, you said, man, I noticed that you were really hunched over uh, when you came in holding your back. He said, what's wrong? And, and maybe the man tells you, uh, he says, I've got really bad back pain and I have to walk hunched over like that. And so a little bit of time goes by and the man goes back to the, uh, the hunched over man goes into the doctor and he comes back out and you're still waiting there. And the man sits, uh, walks by you and you say, what did the doctor say? And the doc he says, the doctor told me that my back hurts because I've got bad posture. Now, think about that for just a second. This man comes in saying, I have bad posture because my back hurts. But the doctor tells him your back hurts because you've got bad posture. Now, what we're talking about is cause and effect, right? The cause of the back pain was, bad, uh, was, um, was the effect of the back pain, I guess you would say, was, was poor. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got that backwards. The, the posture was the cause of the back pain. But the man had it reversed in his mind. And if he would have understood it, he would have practiced standing up straighter and carrying around better posture and he wouldn't have had back pain. So you think getting cause and effect backwards is silly, but it's really not all that silly. And sometimes we get them backwards and it leads us into confusion. So if you remember several weeks ago, maybe last week, I can't keep up with time anymore. But uh, I talked to you about Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter in verse seven, where it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you remember I preached on that not long ago? The verse there is saying there are certain things that happen and there are certain ways that the Lord operates so that the only result and conclusion that we can come to is that the power, the excellency of that power is only of God and not of us, right? That's the way the Lord works sometimes. And one of the examples I used 
uh, was when Elijah is going up against the prophets of Baal. And in order for uh, um, Elijah to to prove that this is not by the power of Elijah, this is not by the power of Israel. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord to come down and consume this altar that I have built with fire. But to eliminate any possibility that it's anything but God, I'm going to dump water over this until it just fills up a trench that I've dug around it because we know that wet wood doesn't burn. Well, it doesn't for us, but if the Lord sees fit to consume a a wet altar, he can do that. And so the excellency of the power was of God in that situation and not of us. And I gave you many different examples. Now, in Isaiah, the 48th chapter, I want to read you starting in verse nine here. It says, for my name's sake, that's speaking of the Lord, for my name's sake, will I defer mine anger. Why did he defer his anger for his glory, right? And for my praise, will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off? Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake. Even for mine own sake, will I do it? For how should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory unto another. That's a pretty powerful couple passages right there, is it not? Where the Lord says, I refrain from cutting you off. I chose you out of the furnace of affliction, but he's clear. I did those things for my name's sake, for my glory. And he's very, very clear also that he will not give his glory unto another. So there are times because the God is a God is a God who will have his glory. And there are times in the Bible where he sets up a situation that will totally eliminate the possibility that man could rob him of his glory. Right now, if Elijah would have built the altar there and not poured water on it and had not called fire to come down from heaven and would have gone over there and done something to the altar, maybe Elijah could have said Well, you know, I kind of had a little something to do that. I think that was Moses' problem when the Lord tells him the second time to to speak to the rock, to get water out of it. But Moses decides to strike the rock. I think that's because Moses wanted to have a little credit in doing that. Oh, maybe he hit it just hard enough that Moses brought us water. But the Lord is a Lord that will not give his glory to another. So now let's back up way back in time to the Garden of Eden, where I heard Brother Tim say this when we first started coming to Bethlehem. He used this example. There's not a better one. If I'm in an airplane and I'm going to fly from point A to point B in a straight line. And I start my journey one degree off. And I travel a thousand miles to point B by the time I get to where point B is, I'm way off track because there was a little small difference in the very, very beginning. So let's go back to the very beginning in Genesis, the second chapter. If you remember in Genesis, the second chapter, and I'm going to paraphrase this, the Lord creates man and he puts them in the garden to keep the garden, to dress the garden. There he makes him a helpmeet, and that's a woman, and her name was called Eve, and they live in a perfect utopian society. They do not have to labor. They do not have to work. They are not ashamed of being unclothed. It is perfect. They're immortal. 
And there's one law that the Lord has given them that says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day thou eatest thou of, thereof thou shalt surely die. One law. Now, we know that that law was broken. Now, of all the penalties that God could have given Adam, he gives him an extremely harsh penalty. Think about that for just a second. He could have he could have penalized Adam in millions of different ways. But he chose a way that in our eyes was extremely harsh. And he says the day that you eat it, and I'm going to elaborate, the day that you eat it, you're going to go from a holy immortal created being without suffering without sorrow without pain without sickness without frustration without any of those emotions that we struggle with and you're going to become a corrupt being and your body will begin to die and decay and you'll experience emotions that you've never experienced before and i preached to you a month or two ago can you imagine the fights that adam and eve had when they had to go through life now and adam's out there working and eve's having pain and childbearing and they're wearing fig leaves for a period of time and just all the frustrations that they would have never experienced but the main penalty for that sin was not only did they become mortal, corrupt human beings who are selfish, who are prideful, who struggle with every sin known under the sun. The Bible says, In the day that thou eatest thou of, thou shalt surely die. Not only did they begin to die a physical death, they died a spiritual death. And that's the one degree right there. That's the one degree that a lot of times there's a departure in maybe different denominations Right there on spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Well, what is physical death? Physical death is a a state that your body physically will be in when you are incapable of responding to any physical stimulus at all. Poke them, burn them, spit on them, slap them, laugh at them, do whatever you want to a physically dead body. They don't care because they don't know. What is spiritual death? It's the same thing, but it's with your spirit. Spiritually dead means we don't respond to any spiritual stimulus. Right? Now, that's not just my opinion. I want to prove that to you. And this is, my, this is where I'm going with this, so just hang with me. God is a God of salvation. He is a deliverer. He proves it all through the Bible. He will not give His glory to another. And so he put Adam and Eve in a state, a harsh penalty, a harsh, harsh penalty for that sin. He put them in a state that only his soul, sovereign, saving power could deliver them. That is a treasure in earthen vessels, so the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So this one degree of spiritual death, what does that mean, spiritually dead? Let's look at that for just a second. In Ephesians, the second chapter, the Bible says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins? That's referring all the way back to Genesis where he died, mankind died spiritually. 
To be dead in trespasses and sins means that we are spiritually dead, incapable of responding to a gospel message, incapable of recognizing and responding to the Spirit of God. Let's look at just a few verses of that for just a second. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. And verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. I want you to, I want to read this verse to you here. <clears throat> it says, but the natural man, the, what is the natural man? The natural man is the man that is spiritually dead. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. It does not say neither will he know them. It says neither can he know them. Uh, a, a, a man that has never been born again by the Spirit of God. A man that is solely in his spiritually dead state. Cannot discern or know the things of the Spirit of God. Amen. Right? Now, I'm going to flip one page over. I don't know how many pages you've got to flip. But I'm going to flip one to 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 18. And it says this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. I want you to hang on to that one for just a second while I flip to the book of John. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Let me give you a little uh, account here in the Bible in John the 8th chapter where the Lord is talking to some Pharisees and this is what He says to them. Why do you not understand My speech even because ye cannot hear My words? He doesn't say because you will not. He says you cannot. Does that not harmonize perfectly with the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing? Does it not harmonize perfectly when the Bible tells us that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him? Here, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, ye cannot hear my word. And he elaborates and he says, ye are of your father, the devil and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. And this is what he says. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. The word of there means point of origin. It's Mother's Day. You know what my point of origin is? My mama. She gave birth to me. And the Lord here says, He, in, in, in so many words, He that is born of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not born again or ye are not born of God. Doesn't that harmonize perfectly with the preaching of the cross as foolishness to those that are perishing? Let me give you one more here in John the 10th chapter. I love this one. <clears throat> Jesus says this, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. When Adam sinned in the garden, the penalty was so harsh that he became a corrupt being and every person that came from Adam and Eve on, including us, have a corrupt, sinful nature and are dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only way we can escape that is by the sovereign act of the Lord changing us and making us a new creature, giving us spiritual life. Right now, you say, well, I don't agree with that, Brother Luke. 
In order to be born again, you've got to believe. Jesus says, ye believe not because you're not of my sheep. I don't agree with you, Brother Luke. I think in order for you to be born again, you've got to hear the gospel and respond to it. Jesus says, he that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. And the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Here's my point. A spiritually dead man. You can preach to him till the cows come home. You can be benevolent to him. You can do all manner of kindness to him. You can beg him. And in that spiritually dead state, he will not respond any more than a physically dead man would respond to a prick of a pen. That's what spiritual death is. Now, I've mentioned to you about the Lord bringing us out of that spiritual dead state. That's called being born again because the Bible says, You hath he quickened, that means to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So, I cannot bring somebody out of that dead state. They cannot bring themselves out of that dead state. Why was the penalty so harsh? Because only God will receive the glory for his saving, regenerating power. And I've said this to you before, salvation is for us. But it is not about us. It is about the Lord receiving His glory. That's what it says in Isaiah. For my name's sake, I'm not going to cut you off. For my praise, will I choose you out of the land of affliction. For my name praise. And God will not be a God who's robbed of His glory. So He sets the penalty where there's only one conclusion. Now let's talk about bringing them out of that spiritually dead state. And John... The third chapter, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. You can see it. It's a windy day out here today. And now here's the sound thereof, but I can't tell whence it goeth or whither it cometh. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. I sat out this morning under a little shade tree that I like to sit in, and it was breezy. It just felt good. I just sat under that shade tree for a minute, and the wind was just really, really blowing across me, ten, probably 10 miles an hour. It felt good. It was cool. And I sat under that shade tree, and I was just meditating and thinking, and I thought about that verse. And about 100 yards away from me, <clears throat> there was a tree that stood probably 50 feet above the rest of the tree tops. It kind of stood out there by himself. And I do not think the best I could see with my eyeballs that there was a leaf even flickering on that tree. Now, where I was, it was blowing briskly. <clears throat> it felt good. But that tree had no wind that I could detect on it. And I just sat there and I thought, that's interesting. Here I am, 10 mile an hour wind blowing on me and 100 yards away, not even a puff. And after about five minutes, you know what I saw? I saw that tree start to do this. And I thought... I could not have commanded the wind to go there. Neither could I have told you when it was going to go there. It went when it was ready. And the Bible says the Lord bringing men out of that spiritually dead state happens at his appointed time, just like Isaac was born. Go study that. Go study about the birth of Isaac when Abraham and Sarah were way too old to be having a baby. 100 years old and 90 years old. I'm sorry, that's older than Uncle Ball right there. 
Can you imagine Uncle Ball coming in and Aunt Jean and, and them saying, guess what, we're expecting. I'm not trying to embarrass y'all, but I want you to understand it was, it, it was an incredible account of this birth of Isaac. But that birth happened when the Lord was ready. And the Bible even says it happened at his appointed time. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord, Jesus Christ, got to the tomb of Lazarus when he was ready to get there. And when he got there, he spoke and Lazarus came up out of the grave. <clears throat> and a dead man received life when the Lord was ready for him to receive life. Paul, or Saul, on the road to Damascus, he received spiritual life when the Lord was ready to give him spiritual life. The thief on the cross has lived his whole life rebelling against God and is hanging there bleeding and cursing God. And in an instant, he has changed when the Lord was good and ready to look at that spiritually dead man on the road to Damascus, that spiritually dead man hanging beside the Lord on the cross, and he said, live and arise. And a new spiritual life came to them. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. <clears throat> now, I had nothing to do with myself being born to my mother. I was born under the effort and power of another. Now, I benefited from it, but I can't take credit for it. In a sense of spiritual birth, I was born under the effort and power of another. And I benefit from it, but I, take, I can't take credit for it. Now, spiritual, spiritual death is point A. And if you get one degree off and you begin to say, well, Adam fell in the garden, <clears throat> but Adam was able to recover himself. Adam was able to respond to the gospel. Adam, uh, you know, the preaching of the cross is not foolishness to those that are perishing. The preaching of the cross is different to those that are perishing. And he that is of God heareth God's words. But anybody can really hear him if they'll just listen close enough or if it's just presented in the right way. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Right. So if you start back here. And you think Adam was able to recover himself if he was offered salvation. You've gone one degree. And you go way down the road and you get to the point of evangelism. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Your evangelism and the purpose of it is way off. Evangelism, according to the Bible, was never designed to get people out of hell. It never was. The purpose of evangelism is to point people to the truth, is to point people that are having trouble in marriages to the right direction, is to point people to the Lord in whatever trouble you're having. That's the purpose of our evangelism. Now, <clears throat> let me close with this. So Brother Tim can come up here. You say, Brother Luke, I've heard you. Maybe, maybe you don't, you know, maybe a good, a good thing to say here would be, if you're a good old primitive Baptist and you've heard these things, I hope it has uh, rekindled your fire and gratitude to the Lord. If you've never heard these things, I hope it's given you something to think about. If you despise everything I'm saying, I hope that at least you can go out and represent us correctly and say this is what they believe, even if you don't believe it. But some people would argue with me and say, oh, no, 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 Luke. 
you're saying the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. You're saying you've got to be born again to really hear and follow and understand the things of God. But the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they've got to have some ability to hear the Lord and respond to him. But now this is a different topic for another day. Like Brother Tim says, live to preach another day. Do you remember the disciples in a boat in a very tempestuous sea? About to drown, about to sink. And what did they do? They said, Lord, they cried out. They called upon the name of the Lord. And they said, Lord, save us. We perish. They were not asking to be saved from an eternal hell. They were asking to be saved from drowning. Will calling upon the name of the Lord save you? Absolutely. But not from hell. It'll save you from the habit and dominion of sin. It'll save you from broken relationships. It'll save you from all manner of things on this side of heaven. Amen. Do you need to believe? Yes. When was the last time you believed something that was utter foolishness to you? If you believe, it's because you have been born again. You say, well, Luke, I believe you've got to repent in order to be saved. Do you know when Jonah went into Nineveh, what was the message he was carrying to them? Repent. And had they not have repented, they would have experienced the judgment of the Lord on this side of heaven. What does repentance do? Does it deliver you? Yes. From things on this side of heaven. What does belief do? It delivers you from things on this side of heaven. What does confession do? You remember, I think about old Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, uh, I think it's the fourth chapter, when he's out in the field and he's rebelled against God and he looks like a wild woolly booger of a man and he's down there. What does he do? He starts to confess. And he comes out of that wild animal state. How many times did confession bring Israel on this side of heaven back into a right relationship with God? Time after time after time. I think about this when I give you this as the last one. What about belief? <clears throat> Again, we're going back to belief. The woman with the issue of blood, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible, <clears throat> spent all her money on doctors. The Bible says she was no, no better, but she was worse. If anybody's ever been hopeless in the Bible, it was this poor lady. She was condemned by the, <clears throat> by the law of Israel to be unclean. She had to stay away from her family. She had everything she touched, sat on, was unclean and had to be washed. Terrible way to live. <clears throat> but she crawls on her face to the Lord and touches the hem of his garment. Through faith, touches the hem of his garment. Don't you have to believe there's a healing power there to go through all of that? Yeah. You know what her belief did? <clears throat> her belief saved her, but not from hell. Brothers and sisters, when you read about belief, repentance, confession, things like that in the Bible, baptism, those things do deliver you. But they don't deliver you from your sins in eternity. Because God put a penalty on Adam that would only allow him to receive the glory. He put them in a state of spiritual deadness and no gospel preaching would ever touch them. Incapable of believing, incapable of repenting, no desire to confess, 
Until the Lord looks at them and takes a heart of stone out of them and puts a heart of flesh in them and they become a new creature. <clears throat> what is the difference between a primitive Baptist and most other denominations? When I see a person that's believing, has a desire to believe and to repent and to confess, I see a person that's already been born again. By the sovereign power of God at his appointed time, just like that old tree this morning blowing. When you're asking somebody that's spiritually dead that if they will believe and repent and confess, maybe be baptized, they can awaken to a new spiritual life. You are asking a dead man to get up and take some Tylenol. He's not capable of it. That's the main difference. And I'll go back to what Brother Sonny Powell said, and I'll close with that. The things that most people say are the causes of spiritual life. We as primitive Baptists believe are the effects of them. And the only way anybody could ever walk in a spiritual life with Christ is if a sovereign God acted solely upon his own will at his appointed time and made them a resurrected spiritual creature.